Welcome to the MR Running Pains Podcast. My name is Aaron Saft, and I've got another guest here, Craig Peterson. Uh, Craig is an athlete that I coach, um, and um, this was a really awesome event to uh, to train for and uh, and coach. <laughs> um, Craig was training for what they call the 29029, which is basically... Um, uh, known as Everesting. So you basically, um, do a climb and then, um, in this event, you take a gondola back down to the base. It's at a ski slope. Then you climb back up and take the gondola down and you repeat until you've gained 29,029 feet or basically the, uh, the height of Everest. So, um, really neat event. Um, and we talk about, Craig and his training. Um, Craig also, as a side note, um, is a type one diabetic and, uh, he talks about how he, um, has made his life changes, uh, so that he, um, can still train and, and do his daily activities and, and live a, a healthy, viable life. So, um, really cool conversation with Craig here. Really enjoyed my time talking with him, and um, of course, you know him getting his finish. That was tremendous, um, very, very cool. So, hope you enjoy this conversation. And here's Craig Peterson. Craig Peterson, welcome to the MR Running Pains Podcast. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. Absolutely. Craig, uh, he's done some incredible things thus far in his life. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a big part of that today. So, Craig, why don't you start by uh, introducing yourself, uh, where you grew up, um, you know, your life, your lifestyle, what's, what, you know, what's involved in the life of Craig Peterson? All right. Um, well, again, my name is Craig Peterson. Um, I'm now residing in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, but I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota, which is just kind of in the suburbs of the Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Lived there pretty much my entire life up till this point. Um, I went up to college at St. Cloud State. Uh, lived up there actually for a little bit after college, then came back in 2006, uh, where that timing coincided with meeting my wife uh, and getting the job that uh, I still am involved with. And uh, that's when things really kind of got off and got interesting. Um, 18 months later, uh, married my wife, uh, Nicole, and then we started our life um, actually in the northern suburbs of Minneapolis and then later moved down to the southern uh, suburbs to be closer to the family where we raised our two children, Oliver and Isabella. And they are now ages 10 and seven. So between work and training and family life, that's uh, <laughs> a busy day. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, you have a uh, uh, another piece of your history, which um, you know is is definitely uh, a reason why you got into running. Do you want to talk about that uh, that piece of your life? 
Sure. Um, so back, um, we kind of got to go back a little bit, but um, we'll start with the diagnosis in uh, July, July 3rd, actually 2016. Uh, I was told that I had type 2 diabetes, which, you know, my wife and I questioned pretty heavily because I fit the profile of about 1% of type 2 diabetics. So we really felt that there was more going on. And turns out there was, as I was kind of in the honeymoon stages of late onset type 1 diabetes, um, which made a little bit more sense. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease, so it's not necessarily hereditary. It can be brought on by external environmental forces, factors, lifestyle, etc. cetera. Um, so getting into how we got there, um, you know, I was always an active kid growing up, played sports, baseball, basketball, a little bit of track, and then kind of took on playing more golf, a little bit less running, kept injuring myself, um, would get myself back in shape to the point that I didn't injure myself again, but never really took it on as a full uh, lifestyle switch. Um, then it was early uh, spring 2016, went out golfing for a bachelor party, uh, like the third or fourth hole, ended up doing something to my neck, back, uh, hurt it pretty bad, ended up like driving off the golf course, uh, trying and went and got treated by my practitioner. We did that for like two months, right? You know, she'd fix me. I'd come home day and a half later, like right back to square one. Things weren't healing. Everything kind of kept getting a little bit worse. And, you know, in talking with her, it was like, what are we missing? Something's not right. Um, the body should be healing itself. It's not. We started messing around with mineral imbalances, electrolytes, um, you know, and then she asked about what I ate. And that was started to be an indicator that um, I needed to change some things that I was taking in. Uh, so I switched my diet a little bit, got away a little bit from the processed uh, foods and like instantly dropped like 20 pounds, not trying to do anything, uh, but the inflammation just kind of started residing. Uh, but in the meantime, too, like in the in the big buildup of that, I was losing my eyesight. Um, like my body was just screaming for me to pay attention and I wasn't listening. But the, the eye thing really got me to pay attention. That's what got me in to do all my blood work, um, which kind of led us on the trail that um, I was in bad shape. Uh, my fasting glucose at the time was 234 and an A1C of like 11 and a half, which is double. Both those values are double what they should be. Um, so then I just, okay, this is the new normal. I got to manage this. And, you know, at the time I thought, well, if it's type two, I could truly correct it, right? Uh, 
Um, but it wasn't. And so now this is part of my life and to help make that, um, the easiest transition for me. Um, I transitioned to a full uh, plant-based vegan diet in the fall of 2016. Um, and that literally changed everything for me um, between, you know, a lot of lifestyle switches, doing some more yoga, um, just started out with standard walking. Um, but I noticed I could do all these things and all of a sudden my body didn't hurt anymore. So then I tried running and I was like, Oh, how about that? Didn't hurt. Tried running some more, running some more. And I just finally got to the point where I could run, do some sprints, um, started feeling younger again. So I like to say at age 30, I felt like I was 50. And now at 42, I feel I'm back at 30. Uh, so it just really changed how my body responded to any sort of stimulus that I put on it. That's pretty incredible. Um, can you talk just a little bit more about uh, the difference uh, for those that don't know between type one and type two diabetes? Yeah, sure. Um, so type two diabetes, um, both of them are kind of brought upon by insulin resistance, which is uh, fat stored in cells that are not meant to store fat, right? So your tissues are holding on to excess fatty tissue. So then your pancreas is really releasing your beta cells, your insulin, um, and they're knocking on the cell walls saying, hey, can I come in? Can you take me up? Right. That's where we store our energy. Um, but what happens in in all diabetes is they will not. The insulin receptors are blocked. So the cells do not allow the insulin into your tissues. And that makes the glucose bounce around in your blood, which creates higher blood sugar readings. Um, so then your body is trying to expel that excess glucose, maybe it's frequent urination, uh, thirst, et cetera, your body is physically trying to get rid of uh, that excess glucose. Um, type two is actually curable, you know, for all intensive purposes, you get your A1C down under like 6.5 and between six, 6.5. And they, and they tell you that you're pretty much, you've reversed type two diabetes. Like I said, type one is a autoimmune disorder. Your body has physically killed all your pancreas's ability to uh, provide beta cells and I think they call it androgynous insulin, insulin um, where it's what you produce um, from your own pancreas. You no longer produce that, therefore you have to inject insulin um, I do long-acting insulin once a day and then uh, fast-acting insulin with every meal. And obviously that has a tremendous effect um, while you're out. I mean, you've done ultras and we'll talk about that. But um, when you're out running, um, you know, if you uh, 
start to notice that uh, you're feeling off. Can you kind of describe that and, you know, how do you uh, counterbalance that? Yeah. So um, un- until recently, so the last um, about 60 days ago, I switched to a continuous glucose monitoring system. So it's giving me kind of real-time information every five, 10 minutes, which is great. Uh, but they also say that it could be 20 points higher or lower actually than what's indicated, right? Because it's, it's not actually testing your blood every five minutes. Um, so f- trying to find the line of where you know, maybe my true values are. So it could be screaming at me, telling me I'm low, but really maybe I'm not as low as it's saying. Um, But uh, I've learned that over the years of reducing the amount of long-acting insulin that I inject in the morning, and then I will not do any fast-acting insulin uh, throughout the day, obviously, because exercise uh, is like a sponge for that insulin. Um, You actually have what they call an afterburn effect after exercise for two to three hours is like this afterburn window where you get free glucose uptake into your tissues, regardless of any insulin uh, injected or not. Um, So really it's like, that's my time to refuel is those immediate hours after I run. Um, because you can really get a bunch of nutrition in a short time and not have to use as much insulin as you might normally have to do. Um, so definitely so you notice running, those numbers. it's been a balance. Gotcha. And so if you notice those numbers are low, like your monitor screaming at you, um, do you have to take more glucose during that period? Yeah, so typically um, some signs that I've noticed are, you know, I might be going up a hill that shouldn't be making my heart rate just jump. You know, it'll spike. All of a sudden it'll be like 160 and I'm walking up a hill. Um, Start feeling a little faint, a little fatigue. Um, But definitely... um, Like I I mentioned to you as we were talking after uh, the Art Loeb adventure, uh, you know, the first five and a half miles of that run were okay. And then the rest of it, I was battling lows the entire time. And one thing I learned is I didn't balance enough of my uh, slow release carbs versus kind of that quick burn uh, carbohydrates. So, you know, I was using a bunch of gels just because it was lighter from a carrying standpoint, but they would only get me out of the low and didn't give me that uh, sustained release. Um, So it was constantly just trying to catch up and get back to par. Um, So that just changed then my effort level because I had to bring that way down to help balance out um, the quick burning. That makes sense. Thanks for explaining all that. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about your your running journey a little bit more. Um, you, you know, you started running, and uh, that was back. Um, was that 2016 as well when you started running? Yeah, I mean, I, I ran track in middle school, first year sure. of high school. Uh, 
long story short, I quit because I hadn't grown yet. So I didn't like taking fifth and sixth versus, you know, middle school winning all my races, but then you're racing upperclassmen and that didn't get fun for me. (laughs) Um, So I gave that up and actually really didn't start running again. Um, I always jogged right as part of exercise, uh, but I was more focused on weightlifting at the time. Um, Going into college, I was still pretty small. I'd grown height-wise, but I've always been kind of a a thinner frame, right? Uh, So I worked on trying to bulk up a little bit. I did, but still jogged and did other exercises. A friend talked me into running some 5Ks and a half marathon in 2005. And Mike, I can do that. didn't run more than six miles in my half marathon training and like, yeah, I can run under two hours. And I did, I finished in 151, uh, couldn't walk or move hardly for about three days. And then I really didn't run again. Um, as I got busy with work and life, um, like I said, I moved back down here, met my wife. And as we got into that, that family uh, raising stage, you know, you kind of lose a little bit of your self-identity and all your time is going into your kids. And that's maybe when I got maybe my most unhealthy as far as just not paying attention to myself and my needs. And, you know, you're just you're doing everything for your family and you're trying to spend time with your kids. You're trying to work. Um, and then, you know, my diagnosis, uh, really was the catalyst of me changing things and starting running again, which, you know, I would say is that 2016 mark. And when you started that, that journey again, um, did you have your sights set on anything or was it just, I just want to get back to running. No. Um, and you know, the, the longer we know each other, um, I quickly think I can do a lot more. <laughs> than maybe I'm able. I'm so <laughs> I, I instantly set my sights on running the twin twin cities, uh, marathon in 2018. So just started kind of running and by like Thanksgiving of that year, I'd go out and you know, I could do a 14 mile run and I was, you know, feeling pretty good about that. But then I started, you know, reading these books and listening to inspiring people, people, ultra marathoners, endurance athletes, and you, and you start taking some things that they say, but you maybe don't have the history, uh, to be able to add those elements into your training. Uh, so like I had a very slow cadence, you know, my fitness wasn't great. And then I started adding on a whole bunch of stimulus um, into a system that maybe wasn't ready for it. And three weeks before the marathon, I went out and I did an 18 mile run in the morning. And then I told myself, I'm going to run a full marathon, but in just 24 hours instead of one shot. Right. Um, And then I was going to start my taper. My, I went out for the second eight miles and it was 
instantly a very bad idea. I should have just turned around and gone home, but I thought I had to power through it and ended up having a multitude of stress responses and stress fractures throughout my right foot. That's only the one they MRI'd. <laughs> so there's a good possibility there's other places as well. And, you know, I had to take that news that I wouldn't be able to complete the goal that I set out to do. And I was actually out of running for, I think, six months because that happened September. And I was given a green light in February of 2019 to try to resume running again. So what did you, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that experience? Well, uh, I learned that I needed to listen to my body a little bit better, uh, that I maybe didn't have the history to, um, do some things that I thought I could do. You know, most people have this nice ramp up of running and I just thought I could be that couch potato to a marathoner in a year and a half. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's couch potato to a hundred miles people. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's, you know, we all have ideas and uh, we, you know, as you said, we have these influencers that are out there that you see doing these amazing things and you're like, why not me? Why, why can't I do that? But as you said, you know, we need to listen to our bodies, understand what it's capable of and be able to, you know, accept the journey. Um, I think most people, um, you know, they, when they ask me, when was your first hundred miler? I mean, mine was in 2016. I started running ultras in 2008. So eight years later, I, you know, that's when I tackled my first hundred. Um, I probably could have done it before that. Sure. But like mentally I wasn't there. So, you know, it's not only physically, are you capable of doing it is, are you mentally mature enough in your running to do it? So, you know, these things take on a lot and, you know, as your body showed, it, it just wasn't quite ready for that type of, you know, the pounding. I mean, the road is very difficult on us. The mountains are very difficult on us. So, you know, having that physical capability is, is part of it, but also having that mental capacity to be able to work through a lot of the things that are going to go on in these longer events. So, um, you come back in February. Um, did you have a different mindset when you came back in February? Yeah, I, I definitely did. Um, I was going to start running trails because it was easier on your body. Uh, so, yeah, I, and I came back very gradual, um, tried really not to jump back into it too much, even though I, I put a race out on my calendar for, I think it was, early April, uh, 25K, and I just started running again uh, in February. And really, I didn't start truly like doing like three days a week or more until maybe that last week of February, early March. And I had five, six weeks uh, to prepare for my first trail 25K. 
well, that's, you know, that's, that's not as bad as uh, having four weeks to get ready for hard rock. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing better than, than some. <laughs> yeah. But again, uh, we go, we, we got to revert back to that baseline, right? That history. That's right. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I am calling on a lot of experience uh, just as I was for UTMB when I had two months to get ready. So um, it is totally, totally different. I mean, <laughs> so um, yeah, the, the 25 K comes, um, how did you feel during that one? Was it, did that go? Okay. You know, it went really awesome. I was feeling really fresh. Um, I wanted to do it in less than three hours. And I think I did it around like two forty, something like that or two thirty six. I don't remember. Uh, but I just remember feeling, feeling this, overwhelming sense of appreciation for uh, the people that were at the event, right? These people you're running with, they're talking to you, you're laughing, uh, you're cheering them on because we were all running at the same time. The 50K people got an hour head start, I think. So, you know, you're working your way towards some of those people and then you're talking with them and they're, you're wishing them well. Uh, the volunteers, like I was thanking everybody. Like I was so happy just to be out there and running. Um, and the trail scene is much different than the roads. Uh, and it was fun. Like there was a guy dressed up in a big blow up dinosaur costume and I stopped and took a selfie with them. Um, and it, it really just felt great. And I felt great after the run. Um, you know, I, I couldn't run and these were rolling hills. I think there was a total of 15 or 1600 feet of gain for um, the 25K, but I was just having to walk everyone and then I'd run as fast as I could down them. Um, so people would, you know, I'd be talking to them on the way up and then, all right, so we'll see you on the next hill because <laughs> they would catch me. Uh, but yeah, it was super fun. The only thing uh, a couple days after, I tried to do some intervals again and my knees weren't quite ready from the downhill running. Uh, so I, but ultimately I, I felt great after that event. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, and I think a lot of people, um, they, don't think about, you know, the, the downhills. We, we typically talk about the uphills, right. And which is, you know, what we're, we're going to allude to here later in this conversation, but um, it, it's the downhills. A lot of the times that, you know, especially after a race or event, just like you said, you were taking such advantage of the downhills. We don't recognize how much, you know, that does to our body. You know, our, our quads get really banged up. Usually they tighten up because of that, that uh, eccentric movement. And, um, we, we, we feel it in our knees because the quads are so tight. It's pulling on the knees. So a lot of times if we're not taking our quads, that's why every time I say to you guys, you know, after a, a big downhill run or something, you know, make sure you stretch out your quads, make sure you're foam rolling the quads. Last night I took that Theragun and just beat up on my, on my quads, just trying to loosen them back up. So yeah, really take care of your quads, especially if you're doing a lot of uh, downhill training. Um, so 25 K Great experience. Uh, left you, I'm sure, with a, a very positive mindset and mind frame of, especially you know, you're like, I like trail running now. <laughs> so where does it go from there? 
Uh, well, the one thing I failed to mention is when I signed up for that 25K, I also signed up for my first 50K, which was 4th <laughs> of July. Um, so I shifted my sights then to trying to complete my first 50K. Again, took a little different approach in my training, um, incorporated some different things, but then uh, a, a coach uh, that I was listening to via podcasts um, put out a free 50K training plan. So I started, because I was doing basically a marathon training plan um, just because I thought, all right, well, I completely blew it on my own with no sort of training plan. So maybe if I buy a training plan online, I'll get myself a little further along. And I was doing good. And then I started dropping in some extra stuff from this 50K training plan. And same exact timing, three weeks before the race, I get a stress response in uh, the junction kind of coming out of the ankle into the shin on my left foot. Um, and I thought for sure I had a stress fracture in my tibia. Um, again, MRI, no, no fractures present, uh, just a very angry muscle uh, juncture. Uh, but it forced me to take 10 days off three weeks before a race, and I did nothing. Um, and that actually allowed what I had done to catch up with me. And so I think I had like three or four runs that I got in before race day. And I was like, whoa, this feels so much easier. Um, it was it was great. I felt pretty fresh, uh, but it allowed me a different mindset too. Of I got away from these goal times and paces and it was literally cross the finish line. I want to cross the finish line healthy uh, and complete the event. Like all my visualization was everything was pointing to me crossing that finish line. So that was a big uh, perspective shift in, in how I was planning to take on the event. Very cool. Um, yeah. It's, it's oftentimes that, uh, you know, I have to tell athletes, slow down, take the recovery a little bit easier. It makes, you know, some of the long runs, well, most of the long runs, you know, slow down. It's, you know, we make the best adaptations when we recover. Uh, you know, and we're going to talk more about your training because we had to make a pivot in your training for the, uh, the 29, 29 event. Um, but, um, so the 50 K comes up, um, how does, how'd it go? You know, it went well. I knew I was going to have a little bit of pain in that muscle uh, juncture, um, but I, I shifted my mindset of not running, uh, being in pain running, but running with my pain and just, again, tried to totally relax, uh, have fun. I started at the very back of the pack as they went out. Um, so I was just having some nice casual conversations and um, just really 
made sure that I was trying to let myself warm into a pace that I was comfortable with. Uh, and this course had the most elevation gain um, that I had ever attempted. Uh, it was held in Afton State Park called the ATR 50K. And it had like 3,800 up and 3,800 down. So to me, these were, you know, the biggest mountains I'd run, you know, and they're just hills. But it, it was a lot for me. Um, and I struggled real hard. Uh, got through the first 25K, felt good. You know, the photographers and people are looking at me as I'm going into the uh, halfway point. They're like, oh, yeah, he's got, he's got another lap in him. He'll be good. And coming out of that middle aid station, like, I thought I had to change my shirt, change my socks, like, do all this stuff, right? Um, and I brought a bigger meal to kind of eat, but then I didn't have a spoon, and I'm, nobody had a spoon. I'm like, how am I going to eat? So I broke off, like, a fraction of my chocolate bar and used that as my spoon, um, only to have the next 50 minutes be very painful because my stomach was just full bloat. Uh, I overate and ate too fast and really paid the price for the next 50 minutes. Um, and then too, on a, on a loop course in a 50 K you lose all those 25 K runners. <laughs> so then it's just you out there and it's a long time before you really see some people again. Um, so I, I was definitely hit my wall, uh, around mile 16 to 18. Uh, but then things picked up again. Uh, when it was starting to feel good around mile 20, uh, was going really slow, but I was progressing and I finished and was actually able to, my family was sitting maybe 250 yards from the finish line. And my son and daughter uh, came out and ran that last little bit with me. And my wife was running behind us. My daughter just took off, right? I, I couldn't keep up with her. She was so excited having fun. And my son kind of trotted along with me. Um, and I've got these pictures of me crossing the finish line, you know, my arms raised, like just completely wiped. And, uh, but I finished and I, I felt really good about it. Do you ever uh, use that, that imagery? Um, do you recall that? Uh, you know, at Lowell's, you know, now that you know, you've been through that? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I even actually did a side by side of me finishing that race in 2019 with how I finished in 2020. Um, cause I ran it virtually again, cause I was signed up for it in 2020. Um, but it, it was amazing what some smarter training actually did. Um, and that was one thing I took away after that race was Craig Peterson can no longer coach himself. I will run myself into the ground every time. Uh, so I got a little smarter from that point on. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And as I've admitted, I do the same thing, you know, um, cause even coaches need coaches. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you and I met in 2020, um, 
it was after you had completed that 50k uh we, we just we went for a run you had moved to the area um and at that point i'm trying to remember when we met was the uh was the 2929 event was that on the horizon or not yet um so it it was it got pushed out so it was supposed to happen last year um, in Idaho and they turned it into a virtual event and then rolled everybody's registration over to 2021 if they like, or you could get like half your refund back or something. Um, so I just chose to roll it over. Uh, wasn't going to do the virtual event. And then I decided that I was going to do it like a week before. Um, really glad and grateful I did it just because it tied me into the 29029 community a little bit more. So then when we got on the mountain this year, um, you recognize some faces and some of the names that were in the virtual event and some of the virtual Zooms and things like that. And it was like instant, like, oh, you're so-and-so. Oh, I remember you. And it, it really created a, a fun little gathering for us. That's cool. Um little freeze frame for a second on the 29 29 um and just is there anything within you know the, the time span now before the actual live event is there anything within that 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 you know event wise that you did that we would be remiss not to talk about in your journey to this event yeah so our family we moved here in september right after labor day of 2020 and I was trying to figure out, okay, I, I, I want to see where I'm at uh, running in, in the mountains here. So I, I signed up for the shut-in because uh, that was virtual. And I was like, wow, that looks really tough. <laughs> you know, it's half the distance and like another 2,000 feet of gain that I've ever done. And I was like, Wow that that's intense. I got, I got to try it. You know, I got to try it. And it was virtual. So if, if my understanding is correct in a normal year, the shut-in is more of a lottery. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it usually, yes, you, it was, it used to be a paper registration event. Um, and just to give people a little bit more context um, that don't know the shut-in event, um, locally here, we've got a trail, uh, it's our, it's on our local mountains to sea trail. It starts at uh, a little point, uh, with the French broad river. Um, you know, the race typically starts in the Arboretum. The virtual event started outside the Arboretum, which is the actual trailhead for shut in. Um, it was the Vanderbilt's trail to get them up to one of their hunting lodges, but the trail is uh or the race typically is 17 and a half miles just over with 5,000 feet of gain and 3,000 feet of descent so it is as craig said a very challenging it's all single track crosses over the parkway um it's a very very challenging event but um yeah typically it was they moved over to uh ultra sign up um we had the virtual event when they moved over to ultra sign up so it'll be interesting to see how they do it i think it's going to be a lottery for this year's event. Um, so I think with the virtual event, we had like two to three weeks even to run it. Um, so I chose to run it on Halloween. Uh, and so I was unsure of how it was going to go, but I, 
I was packed and prepared. Uh, I was doing it unsupported. You know, a lot of people had cars driving up the parkway with them, giving them support. Um, but I met some really, uh, cool people that morning, um, getting ready to start out. So, uh, Javin Lapp and Devin DeHall, uh, were getting ready to run. They were doing their warm warmups as I started. Uh, they ended up flying by me going up the wall. Uh, so that was fun watching them prance through that trail with such ease. Uh, then closer to maybe Beaver Dam Overlook, um, ended up meeting Nate, uh, I believe it's Hill Slip. Uh, and so, yep. you know, him and I would kind of pass by each other and I had trailed him for a little while and then I'd pass him right when he stopped for his aid uh, and then he'd pass me again and then I was able to stay somewhat in earshot of him all the way up till uh, the, the hard part uh, where he crossed over at 151. Uh, and that, again, just put me uh, a dead stop in my tracks. Um, but I, I finished it, and I finished it in 336 or something, which apparently is fairly respectable for a first time shut in person. Uh, so I felt glad about how I, even though I fell twice, I, I felt glad about what I did. Well, yes, 330 is, is very respectable and falling twice is even more respectable. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that fall time with all the leaves covering, you know, it's just your hope and your steps land where they need to. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did it virtually as well. Um, with one of my best friends and, um, we had a, a misty morning. It was very foggy and, um, it's, uh, that race can be anything. Uh, it's, it's typically the first weekend in November here. Um, and, uh, for those that haven't done it, I, I always suggest it's, it's kind of a, a local legend of a race. Um, you know, I, I actually just ran the trail. If you look at my Strava from uh, Sunday, Father's Day, <laughs> um, I, I did uh, from the French Broad up to actually the summit of Mount Pisgah, which is one of our iconic local peaks. Um, so you can kind of see the route. It's, it is fantastic. I think from the French Broad to the summit of Pisgah, I gained 6,300 feet in night 12. That would have been 17 and a half miles. And then I jogged back down. So it gave me 19 miles total. Um, but also Pisgah for those that are familiar with Pitchell, that is the start of the Pitchell route. So you actually come down and run the reverse of shut in at the very beginning of the Pitchell route. So a lot of people have heard of Pitchell. That's the first segment of it. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, every local has to do it, you know, like it seems like every local here is like, well, have you done shut in <laughs> or, uh, have you done the Mount Mitchell challenge? So <laughs> you're, you're not quite a runner if you haven't done those <laughs> locally. Uh, but that's uh, right. no, that's so cool that you got to experience that and especially see some of the, the local folks along the way, uh, which is always cool. Um, yeah. so, um, we got into training, um, let's let's actually talk about what is this 29029 what what is that well, you know what's the event um give us a little bit of background on that yeah so uh mark huladak 
uh, Jesse Itzler and Colin O'Brady uh, organized this event called 29029. It was originally held in Vermont, I think, in 2017 at Sh- uh, uh, not Stratford. Maybe oh, I'm was blanking it on the name. Um, but I think there you actually have to do it 17 times. So they set up this event around, uh, you know, it's, it's not a race. It's an event. It's you versus you. And you just, they, they make it very easy for the, for the individuals uh, participating to give them every ounce of support and whatever they need to help them succeed. And maybe their goal isn't, you know, in that case, all 17 of cents, but they really encourage you to just, you come off the gondola, right? So you ascent up, you hike up, and then you take the gondola down and they, they want you to always go in most cases, it was go left, right? Turn left back, brand your ascent board, continue on. Um, and to just like, that's your one job for the weekend is they take everything else away from you and you just hike and climb and you just keep going until you get a brand that final ascent. And uh, something cool that I, I, uh, I really liked cause um, they had the online tracking so I could follow you as you completed your laps, which is really cool. But they also had um, since this is, you know, um, we should also, we'd be remiss to say that the 29029 is the, um, is the elevation or the, uh, altitude of the summit of uh, Mount Everest. Um, so that's the idea behind this. You are going basically to climbing as much as you would to get to the summit of Mount Everest. But, um, along the way they have the other, what is it? Six or seven major peaks, um, the highest peaks, um, so when you climb that much, you know, you're recognized that you've completed like Anacagua and, you know, all of the di- various yeah, peaks around Denali, and, you know, Denali. Exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of cool that, you know, we it, like, because when the tracking online, they had them, you know, like the smallest peak is like, you know, they're not quite to that peak yet. And then once you summited that one, you moved into the next peak and you'd be in that category until you completed that, you know, that summit. And then you kept moving up and that was fun to follow along and see how, you know, like how much, how high you were going and and seeing what summits you had tagged. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And it was fun too, but you know, some summits like you had to get like four or five ascents in before you got a check mark. And then when you get into the later ascents, it was after I think your ninth ascent where you finally check off your second uh, summit and then all of a sudden you get one and then the next one you get two uh, and then you do like one more lap and then you get another. So things were really starting to hum through uh, once you kind of cross that halfway point. And th- there's, uh, there's no cutoffs along the way. It's just basically you need to complete it in this amount of time, correct? Yep. So we start at 6 a.m. on Friday morning. And you have till 6 p.m. on Saturday evening. Now, the only cutoff they do have is at 5 p.m. You must have started your final ascent on Saturday. And then you got to be through uh, the mid-mountain station by 5.30 uh, to try to ensure that uh, you complete your final ascent in the time you need. Uh, So they they actually send out 
uh, Coach Brent and Coach Chris, <laughs> and they're kind of like the uh, Grim Reaper, right? So if people <laughs> see them coming up, they can't get passed by them, <laughs> or they know their their time on the mountain is uh, officially done. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of cool and kind of sad at the same point. Right. Um, well, we're going to talk about um, Idaho and the setup and everything in, in just a moment. Let's talk about your training to, to kind of get there. Um, cause we had, we had everything going really well. <laughs> everything we was, was going, you know, training was going really well. And then life threw us a, a you know, a monkey wrench. Um, so do you want to talk that about that infamous run that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we were, um, I th- about six, seven weeks out and we were just kind of starting to really go into the, the vert mode. Uh, where we were trying to accumulate a lot of elevation gain uh, every week uh, to get me prepared. I uh, was feeling pretty good and strong. Um, and I think it was a Wednesday uh, and I had to get, it was at 2,000 feet that morning. So I went out to Shope Creek, uh, started out, and then I went up to the parkway and came back and started working my way towards uh, that rockhead. Um, and between uh, that section of trail, uh, again, I, I, I lost my concentration is ultimately what I'm chalking it up to because uh, it looked like there was a storm blowing in over Lane Pinnacle. And I was like, oh, I don't want to get trapped out here in a rainstorm. And I was looking this way and I saw a log and I stepped over the log. And on the back side of it, my foot just snapped um, out to the right. I didn't fall, but I heard a pretty nasty sound. Uh, kind of stopped, took stock, uh, tried to walk. It wasn't painful walking yet. So I'm like, all right done running, just try to get my butt uh, off the mountain and figure out what I need to do. Um, Did so successfully uh, in the car ride back home. It really started, my ankle started throbbing. Uh, I could feel the shoe getting a lot tighter. Um, Couldn't like wiggle the bottom three toes on my right foot. So I knew it was definitely had minimal a sprain and I was hoping it was not going to be more uh, went home ate something quick iced it for a bit and then got into urgent care for some x-rays and they classified it as a sprain of the AFTL um, which seemed manageable Um, You know, they they didn't tell me to what degree, you know, obviously only an MRI would tell you, you know, if it was a grade two or grade three sprain. Um, But given the circumstances, I think I took seven or eight days off, um, really did nothing, kept icing it, put ahead of boot, used crutches. And then we tried to kind of ease our way back into things. And, and that was, um, you know, that was kind of one of those moments where we're like, okay, we can't be 
stupid, but we have to, <laughs> we have to make sure that, you know, we get things ready. Cause I, we had about, you know, I think six weeks or uh, maybe just under until, you know, your event. Um, so we kind of, we became creative. <laughs> uh, we became very creative. Um, you know, we were uh, making sure that we stayed on consistent surfaces so that we wouldn't irritate the ankle. Um, you had a hill in your neighborhood that we overused. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you were really were great about, um, you even hiked up with your bike and then would ride your bike down just to kind of save the legs a little bit more. Um, so we just kind of rotated around the circumstances. Um, and, you know, gradually built you back to where we could get you back on the trail where the ankle was feeling stable. Um, we continued to work on strength. Um, how did, how did that process feel for you? Were you getting concerned or did you feel comfortable with the, you know, the plan of attack? I felt very comfortable with the plan of attack. You know, it's always that lingering fear of, am I doing enough? Like, is, is it enough? am I going to fail? Uh, you know, cause I, I didn't want to be arrogant about things. Like I've got, you know, those mountains as my playground, like coach has got me doing great things, big work. Uh, you know, so it was, it was balancing the confidence with the, the fear and knowing just how humbling uh, climbing a mountain can be. I mean, you know, from the outside perspective as, as the coach and, you know, looking at it, you were putting in the work, you know, like you were doing everything you could to, to make it a reality. Um, you know, like, I mean, obviously it was not ideal circumstances, but when is it ever, you know, like when does it ever go according to plan? I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's always setbacks along the way and there's always things that happen, but you know, like I kind of like what some of the elites say that is like, as long as you get in 75% of the work, like you're going to be fine. You know, like nothing ever goes hundred percent of the way. So I think people need to understand that if you don't get in a long run or, you know, a, a, a few workouts or, you know, even two long runs, look at the accumulation of the fitness that you, you do have, you know, look back and say, I've had a good journey. I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of long runs. I've had a lot of time on my feet. I've had a lot of practice like take confidence in that. Understand that it's going to be okay. If, even if you only 75% of the plan went accordingly. So, you know, don't be afraid of, of an event. If, you know, if something happens, you know, like, you know, in Craig's case, he, he turned an ankle in other cases, it may be, you got sick, you know, and you had to take a down week. That's okay. You know, like, as you said earlier, you know, in training for your 50 K, you actually felt better with that little time off you know, and you're, you're training, you felt like you, your body caught up and you felt, you know, more prepared for the event. It's the body's an amazing thing. It doesn't take it long for it to catch up back to the fitness that if you lost any, you know, and as in your case, we came right back and you were, you were fine. We just, you know, used biking more. We used hiking more. We did a lot more, you know, just up and down repeats. So, um, but, um, and we, you know, we had to be careful with what strength we did do. Obviously, you know, you had an ankle, this lower body extremity injury. We had to be careful with what you were doing for strength, but I think everything complemented itself well. So leading into the event, um, you know, uh, you, uh, uh, do you want to talk about, uh, you know, how you felt mentally? Like, were you like looking forward to the event or were you a little bit, uh, intimidated? Um, yeah. So the one thing, um, 
that had me a little bit on edge was I had to provide either vaccination record of COVID that, you know, I had my two shots and the 14 days had elapsed or a negative COVID test within 72 hours of the event, right? So here we've put in work for 16 months and now I'm at the whim of this coronavirus and if society and I catch it in traveling, you know, so I, I flew back to Minnesota early to um, attend my niece's graduation party. Uh, so I was going to be, you know, around a bunch of people. <laughs> I was with family for six days prior. And, you know, I took a, a rapid test before I even left for Minnesota, just like, okay, this has to be negative or like, I really have to like cancel the event. And like, it was just really a weird mind space to, it made me very anxious. Um, but once I finally got that negative test uh, before, then it was just like, all right, just get through the travel and have fun. Uh, so it was, it really became trust the training. I put in the work. Now it's just time to, to have fun and put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've stepped out of the car a few times and looked at the course. Um, a lot of times, especially at a ski resort, which you're in Idaho, this is where the event took place. Mm -hmm. You know, you step out in the parking lot and then you start to look up, right? And you see, you see your, your nemesis, <laughs> if you will, you see your challenger, you know, um, talk about that moment when you stepped out of the car. Yeah. So one of the participants actually, um, so 29029 switched uh, from their Facebook group to the Mighty Networks, um, if you've heard of that platform. Uh, so one of the participants, a lot of people actually got there like Tuesday, Wednesday, and were meeting up and doing some small hikes. And uh, he sent a picture from the base camp showing the top of the mountain. Uh, and it, it, it was, it was a little intimidating. Uh, but I said, you know, Jason, thanks for the visualization. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, getting there and it was, it was mesmerizing really just to see that surrounding, you know, I'd never been to Idaho, uh, but just the mountain settings, it's the ones you grew up drawing as a kid with the big jagged peaks um, and there is still snow on some of the higher summits up there. So that was pretty cool to see. What, uh, what elevation were you at, at, in, uh, at base camp? So the base camp, I think was just under 6,000. And then 6, the summit, um, was just around eight, I believe. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Was oh, 8,000. 8, okay. Okay. So, uh, you're basically, um, your ascent was, uh, how, how long was your ascent and just each, each one, uh, according to their map was 1.6. I think it was maybe a little bit longer, uh, but roughly 1.6 miles and then just under 2000 feet of gain every ascent. Man. Okay. So, um, talk about, um, uh, your, your gear. What did you use for this well i talk about footwear did you carry hydration you know nutrition 
Um, did they make you wear anything or carry anything extra? Talk about all that stuff if you would. Yeah. So, um, I was wearing my Topo mountain racers. Um, and I, I actually thought about for a while of switching the insole out of the Topo revolt recovery shoe, um, and putting that in there, but I just didn't want to try too much new stuff. Uh, but otherwise pretty much wore, uh, my rabbit shorts, the five inch FKTs, and then a mixture of layering, right? Cause it would get a little colder at night. And then it was burning hot, like mid to high eighties, low nineties. Um, so I was balancing, uh, perspiration, but also sunblock. So I'd kind of wear a light, uh, smart wool, merino wool, uh, base layer or, just a t-shirt um, or, you know, a performance shirt, whatever. Um, wore my running vest, my small running vest with some things in the back just in case I needed it. Um, I put the ankle brace in there. You just, you never know. I uh, had my hiking poles and those were recommended. And yes, they, they, they were a great resource. Um, and then really, yeah, it was just, so the mountains aid that they had, uh, there was maybe only three things out of there that I could use. Um, so they had some Huma gels. So I was utilizing those, their nutrition or their hydration product was hoist. Um, if you've ever heard of that. And I, I started pretty heavy on that, like one, every ascent down on the gondola, but it had a really strong taste um, and it was kind of like chapping and burning my tongue a little bit. And I don't know if that was just from all the, the salt and electrolytes, um, sugary stuff that, but then bananas and apples I was utilizing. I brought a bunch of my own nutrition. Um, so I was medjool dates, um, I brought some of my own tailwind. I did a few of the tailwind recovery uh, after like every four cents um, just as a way, you know, if I was going in to eat a bigger meal. So they had the lodge right there, right? And they had, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner times. Um, so would utilize those as well. And uh, trying to think, yeah, there was a few other, you know, beverages um, that, drank but they're uh, it was really just trying to stay on top of the the hydration piece because um, hot weather you're expending a lot of sweat and on top of it it's so dry that your sweat actually evaporates out there and so it was really tough like there was some people that were just like hit by it pretty quickly um, and were struggling from like early signs of heat stroke Oh man, it's, um, yeah. Cause it, I take it. There wasn't really any canopy. It was, you were just exposed. Yeah. It, the pretty much the whole route, there was like one little section in the morning, uh, where you could kind of duck into a little outcropping of shade and take a breather. Uh, but, but yeah, otherwise, and it was light out till almost 10 PM and the sun 
was coming up at like 4.30 over the mountain already. So it was already providing some light. Uh, the one mandatory thing is that you had to have headlamp uh, for night hiking. They classified night hiking between the hours of like 9.30 p.m. and 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. And then you had to check in at the top of the AIDS, top of the mountain aid station and then at the starting line and register, check in after every ascent uh, just so they could keep tabs on everybody. Was there an aid station in between? There was. Uh, they called it the Mid-Mountain. It was a little bit before halfway. Um, and then they actually added a hydration station um, on top of what people were classifying the wall. Uh, so I think it was probably a third of a mile stretch with maybe 750 to 850 feet of gain. Um, and it was just a very relentless climb. And the biggest difference really was right out here when you have those steep ascents are usually pretty big, bouldery, rocky, rooty. Uh, you have good footholds usually where you're, you can press off a flat heel, you know, and really work your entire foot. Here, it was just climbing up a grass slope with some dirt and pebbles. So you never could really utilize your big major glute muscles. And so my calves uh, were fatiguing and the Achilles was getting pretty angry early on. So really trying to mess around with how you're propelling yourself up this mountain uh, became the, the big challenge. Right on. And as you got on now, this is uh, 14 or 15 ascents. How many? 15. 15. Okay. Yep. So 15 ascents. Um, like, you know, you, you start getting into those, those upper reaches, you know, you're, you're beyond 10 ascents um, and the body's fatiguing, but like, what, what did you do to keep moving? Yep. So my main thing was just really trying to stay present uh, for a little while. Like I was telling myself, I don't know what ascent I'm on. You know, people <laughs> had to ask me, oh, which one are you on? I'm like, I don't know. They'll tell me when I get down there. <laughs> uh, and that became like, you know, just a way to just focus on what I was doing. I will say, I think it was through my ninth, 10th and 11th ascent fatigue and tiredness was really starting to play a factor. So I didn't drink any caffeine that morning. You know, some of the gels and some of the tailwind stuff has some caffeine in it. Uh, but I didn't want to set myself up for that crash. And I've heard you say numerous times, like once you start on it, you kind of got to stay on it. And I didn't want to do that all through the night. Um, so I, I, I ended up going back to my yurt, um, which was a more of a walk than I would have liked. <laughs> um, but I went back there and I don't remember the exact timing. I know I completed, uh, 11 ascents before I went back to my yurt. Uh, but at this point I was like really concerned for myself because in my 11th ascent, I was sleepwalking for a good <laughs> portion of it. Um, and you know, I wasn't at major harm you know it's not like i could fall off a cliff you know like in trail running when you're tired uh, but right there's always a chance you could injure yourself um so got in the gondola 
tried not to fall asleep in the seven and a half minute ride down, <laughs> marked my ascent. And I was concerned that I was going to go low, right? Because like I had been going hard for at that point, you know, over 12 hours. Um, my body's used to just burning, right? Like it's 80% of what I'm consuming is just direct to energy. Nothing's getting digested. And so I loaded up with enough food that I thought, okay, this, this will protect me. And I set my alarm for one hour. Like I'm going to wake up or I think it was an hour and a half, wake up, check my levels, see if I'm good. If I'm good, go back to sleep for another hour. If I'm not eat a little bit more, try it again. Um, so ended up sleeping through that next alarm. So I got almost an hour and 50 minutes of sleep again and stayed out of the danger zone. So I was happy feeling refreshed, uh, went down, ate something and then did uh, two more ascents and then came back in for some more breakfast and then finished 14 and 15. Straight on. So you get to the summit. Um, you just finished the event. Basically all you have is gondola ride down. Um, yep. <laughs> were you too weary to enjoy it or did you, did you feel no I, I would say um after my 14th ascent is like i'd been holding back these uh emotions for a long long time right even before the event i was trying to explain to my parents and my aunt the significance of the red hat and the red bib uh, bestowed upon you. And I was already like tearing up and getting emotional trying to explain this to them. So I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do at the <laughs> event? Like I'm going to be a mess. And yeah. So, uh, had my breakdown, uh, after I completed my 14th ascent in the gondola ride down, I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And it was, it was tears of joy, uh, and feeling elated, uh, that, you know, I knew I had given my effort and this last lap was a mere formality. <laughs> um, and I got down there and Colleen, the, the MC, uh, who was fantastic. Um, she knew which ascent everybody was on before they did calling out their name, coming out of the gondola. Um, it was super cool. And she's like, can I put that red bib on you? And I was like, absolutely, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, I think I filled up my water bottles and started up. Uh, and I actually started jogging up uh, the first little section. I was just feeling excitement and uh, motivation. And, you know, some people even said, like, Whoa, slow down, why are you hurrying? Like, enjoy your last one. And and for me, that was kind of my way of enjoying my last ascent was, all right, let's, let's see what I can do and uh, time to get it done. Um, just so everybody understands, um, you know, there, we have pictures of, of, of your finish on social media, but um, explain the, the final ascent bib and, you know, the hat. Uh, can you explain that a little bit more for people? Yep. Um, so everybody starts out with a, a white bib, you know, it's got your name on it. Um, and then it's got the seven summits listed on the backside. So every time you complete a summit, they check it off on your back. Um, and then when you get to your 
you know, 15th ascent, they bestow the red bib on you. It says final ascent. Um, and that way everybody on the mountain knows that this is your last ascent. Um, so there's a, a special aura around the red bib. And then once you complete your final ascent at the top, they give you your red hat. Um, and that's, that's the one you earn. That's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. So uh, congratulations on that, that final ascent and, and reaching the, the finish line. Um, so you, you got the finish. Um, I saw the the great picture of you next to the board pointing to your last summit. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fantastic. What did your family make it out there? They did not. So originally um, they were saying no spectators were allowed. Um, and then like in the later and as kind of the restrictions eased a little bit throughout the nation, uh, all sun spectators could be in certain areas. Um, but by that point it was, it was kind of too late. And I really kind of then felt a little bit sad and a little bit guilty about it. Uh, just cause seeing other people there and then like knowing how great it would have been to, to see my family, um, at the top of that final ascent. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, what was your final finishing time? Um, so I was pausing my watch after every ascent. So it was like, I finished at nine Oh six. So it was like 27 total hours, 27 um, total hours. And you had yeah. 36, am I doing the math right? 36 to totally complete it. 36 to complete it. Yeah. Nice. So you had, you had plenty of time. That's, that's yeah. tremendous. Um, so the elites, there was, uh, this guy, West schooler and then Julie Stackhouse. Um, and they were working in tandem and were done by 9 PM on Friday night. Wow. It was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty outstanding. Um, so, uh, when you finished, um, a lot of times I get questions about recovery. What did, uh, what did the recovery process begin with and look like? Um, so they had a recovery lounge, which was really convenient. They had a staff of PTs, a masseuse, <laughs> like eight Normatec sets, uh, hypervolts, uh, foam rollers, icing, like you name it, they had it. So as I literally downed some beverages, um, and like hydration <laughs> beverages, um, <laughs> uh, ate some food and then went and sat in the Normatec boots and just kind of let it soak all in and stayed warm under a blanket and then got kind of stretched out, uh, by one of the PTs a little bit later, just ate and sat around and cheered on other people coming off the gondola. We went up to the, the final, uh, to the top of the mountain and cheered people on that were finishing. Um, so it was really just about being out uh, with other people. I thought I would go back and try to sleep, which I really wanted to do, but then it was like, uh, I might as well just wait. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, I know this event is, it's not cheap. Do you mind talking about what the entry fee is and what does that entail? Yep. So it, it is, you're correct. It is not cheap. <laughs> um, but again, it's, it's really an experience. 
Um, it's one I will unlikely forget. So it's not like your typical event where you just kind of, you remember it for a little bit, but then it dissipates. Um, <laughs> this is kind of built up and meant to be one of those things uh, that you don't forget. Uh, but so the, the price, so it includes your lodging, all your meals, all the nutrition products, all the recovery stuff, everything from when you step foot onto that um, lodge grounds to when you depart um, was, I think, like 4,700, something like that. So, yeah, it was, you know, there's not a lot of young people doing it. It's, you know, people in their 40s. Fifties uh, or some sixty-year-olds, but really just a wide variety of folks. Some people out there had done this event for like four times, um, which is really impressive. That um, they've they've built a very strong community around this, um, and it's people you, that I'll likely stay in touch with for a very very long time. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to run the gondolas too. Um, that's not cheap. So there's, yeah, for there's 36 of, hours, it was yeah, amazing. There's, there's a lot of cost involved in that event. So, it, you know, I want people to also understand there is a reason for, you know, that, that cost, like you said, I mean, the lodging food, you know, the gondola, everything that there's all these costs that are involved in this event. Um, you know, your two different bibs, the hats, like there's just a ton of stuff that goes into it. So, um, but and um, we really got a ton of merchandise out of it. I mean, they gave us, you know, sweatshirts and shirts and, you know, hats and all this stuff too f from the virtual event, you know, that we did. Like, you know, they're putting all these tools out for us to communicate with each other. So, yeah, like looking all the volunteers, like, and I would just really like to say thank you to those volunteers to every staff member on the 29029 group, like they, they all made it possible for the people to succeed and meet their goals. And, you know, you felt like you were their top priority every time you talked to somebody, like there's another guy, uh, that JP, and he's like, you know, find me anything you need. Right. Cause I had some special uh, dietary stuff that the, they were helping me with a prearranged with the kitchen. So then it was just working, you know, with the people on site. Okay. What are my options today? Um, you know, I felt a little embarrassed, but at the same point, like I know what my body needs and this is how I excel at what I can do. So, you know, just not being afraid to ask for those things. Um, and I know that they went out of their way to, to help me with that, which was awesome. That is absolutely. Yeah. It's, it sounds like an amazing event. Um, they still do the one in Vermont, correct? Correct. And then Utah at snow basin, which where they held the, uh, Olympic downhill, I believe it's that same course. And they actually added a secondary Utah event the following weekend. Um, so that's, I think uh, mid August. And then so, yeah. Idaho, is there any others? Um, they have some new locations, but they're not releasing them yet. Gotcha. <laughs> right on. Yeah, so cool. they'll probably introduce one new one maybe next year or the following year, something like that. But it's you, a growing community for sure. 
uh, yeah, no, it, it, you know, it's for an experience like you had, um, I can understand why. Um, do you have aspirations of doing another one? A lot of people are asking that question. And it's one of those that, you know, for now, I'm going to hold on to this one. Uh, but the only way I could see myself doing another one is if anybody in my family wanted to do it, um, to have that experience with uh, my son or my daughter or both or my wife uh, or any family member, or if it was like a, a, you know, a team building event for a work function, like something like that, I think would definitely have a lot more draw to it. Um, there was a, a gentleman that did it with his two daughters, 15 and 17. And they all completed all 15 ascents and they never left his side. And it was just, you know, a lot of husband and wives or, you know, different family dynamics that were doing this event together. And that's just really super cool that a, a husband and wife could do that together and still be <laughs> married at the end. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really cool. Um, and you know, we always kind of talk about, um, what's, what's next, um, not to take or diminish from this experience at all, but do you have anything on the horizon for you? I do. Um, you know, it's, I want to keep the momentum going, uh, from this, um, cause really, my legs felt strong the entire time. Like that was almost a little bit more of a mental challenge. Um, yes, it was physical things hurt. Um, but it's, it was a different kind of challenge. Uh, so now I want to use this right to propel. I proved to myself that I'm capable of more. And now I want to keep doing that. You know, that's, it's been a little bit of a motto. Um, so I would, and I wrote in, in our notes when we started on March that I'd like to probably attempt Pitchell. Uh, so that's, that's on the horizon. Obviously, I'd love to do the shut-in again. And then just self-supported, unsupported adventures in uh, this beautiful mountain landscape that we live in. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, if people have questions, are you comfortable with them reaching out? And if so, how would they Absolutely. do so? I can email me at running to the number two mountains at gmail.com. Uh, can find me on Strava and connect um, or Instagram too. So it's awesome. Yeah. Those are the main channels. Um, Thank you, sir. Craig, yeah. congratulations on such a, a cool accomplishment, man. You, uh, you ever stood, <laughs> which yeah. is tremendous. Uh, uh, you Thank know, you, Eric. Really, I couldn't have done it without you, man. Oh, well, I, I think you could have. <laughs> you are a strong man. It's awesome. Thank you, Craig. Great job, Craig. What a tremendous, tremendous story. Uh, really appreciate you sharing everything with us. Uh, it was uh, such a cool, such a cool uh, turning block. And you know, of course, we had our our bumps along the road. But 
you know, he, he tackled them tremendously. And in the end, uh, you know, had a very successful event. So I'm really, I'm really happy for him. Congratulations once again, Craig. Um, uh, other things that are going on. Um, this is a busy time right now. We're going into July here. Um, Gosh, I mean, so much happened in the running world. We've had the uh, the Olympic trials going on. Jeez, uh, amazing performances there. That's been really fun to watch. Of course, the Olympics are coming up at the end of July. Uh, we just went through Western States. Um, I mean, just, you know, what a, oh my gosh. Uh, I did have one athlete running Western States. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, her story another time. Um, I'm just glad she's okay. Uh, she did have to... Uh, uh, get pulled from the course at mile 94. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Um, it, it was, uh, it's not a timeout. It was, uh, health reasons. So, uh, but I want to be respectful of her and, um, allow her to tell her story. So, um, and, uh, let's see. Um, well, of course I've got hard rock coming up. Um, my next episode is going to be a hard rock special, just kind of talking all things hard rock training and everything. Um, so I'll, I'll talk more about what I've done and everything. I mean, you can always obviously see what I'm up to on Strava. Um, I'm Aaron Saft, MR Running Pains on Strava. If you're interested in following along, seeing what I'm up to and what craziness, um, you know, Patrick Regan has me, has me doing. Um, Patrick Regan again has, has been coaching me. Um, and, uh, you know, congratulations to him on his 11th place finish. Um, we all know it wasn't what Patrick was looking for, but, um, you know, uh, given the circumstances and the day he had, uh, I think he's pretty stoked with that, that finish and, uh, and getting to the finish line, um, problem for fighting through. So, um, and then, uh, the tour de France, uh, tour de France is going on. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's been a lot of excitement, uh, having Cavendish back and already winning two, st- uh, stage tours as I record this. Uh, I think it's, uh, I haven't seen the, the, uh, the t- this, uh, the stage today. I'm recording on June 30th. Um, but Cavendish was only three away from tying the overall mark for stage wins, which is pretty darn incredible. Uh, the record is, uh, 34 stage wins. Uh, so, um, let's see if Cavendish can get up there. He's getting so close. Uh, but really cool stuff going on in the world right now. Not hard to find motivation. Um, this weekend we start a camp here in Asheville. Um, the, uh, Smoky Mountain running camp, um, a good friend and Oregon, uh, uh, university coach Ben Thomas is the director. Um, of course, uh, he had, um, um, Hawker Cole Hawker, uh, qualify in the, uh, uh, well, win the Olympic trials in the 1500. Uh, we are waiting on final word as to whether Cole Hawker, uh, will get in cause he did not have the Olympic standard. Uh, but it looks like he will. So, um, tremendous effort there. Really cool to see, uh, such a young talent. Uh, you know, I think he just finished his freshman year in college, um, along with, uh, all the other American, um, stars that, that came out and, you know, world records that were smashed, 400 hurdles, the shot put, just, oh my gosh, such uh, amazing talent that we're seeing right now. Uh, such fast times too. It is quite amazing. So um, great time to be a running fan, um, obviously. <laughs> so uh, other things, um, I will be working on my newsletter and getting that out, the July newsletter. So if uh, you have not subscribed yet, um, you can head over to my website, mrrunningpains.com and subscribe. Um, got some new YouTube video, um, up, um, I appreciate Western States sharing my, uh, uh, how to make an ice bandana, uh, using a buff. 
uh, that was pretty cool to see them retweet my video. Um, <laughs> so uh, thank you to them. Uh, but yeah, I got some new core videos up on the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is Aaron Saft. Uh, you can find all of my uh, socials and, and everything links in the show notes uh, as to how to connect with me. Um, and uh, yeah, all is going well. Uh, like I said, just busy times right now. Uh, but enjoying my training, uh, really looking forward to hard rock. Can't wait to talk about that on the next episode. Um, I really appreciate everybody reaching out with well wishes and, you know, finding out how I'm doing and everything. Oh my goodness. I've been overwhelmed by messages. It seems like they're coming in like every day, which is awesome. I really do appreciate all y'all support. Um, I, you know, I really, I'm going to do everything in my power to kiss that rock. Um, it's, uh, you know, I've got a, a great crew behind me. Talk about that again next week. So, um, stoked. I really am. The, you know, the fire's lit right now. It's burning bright. Um, you know, training hard and doing my best. So, um, but yes, thank you guys for the kind words. Thank you for the support. Thank you guys for listening. Um, you know, as always subscribe, um, share it, uh, leave a review. All of those things really help. Um, if you have the monetary, uh, capacity, and you can uh, go on Patreon and support. You can click the link on my website. I really do appreciate all my Patreon supporters. It does help me, you know, continue to uh, to publish this um, this podcast and work on YouTube and do the newsletter, all that stuff. It really helps me get all this um, out there. And uh, I hope you find it helpful. If there's things you want to hear about, guests you want to hear from, or you yourself want to be on the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, always looking for great people, interesting stories, people we can learn from. So. Um, thank you again, my friends. And until next week, keep on running. Oh man.